Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, and we'll, this is the, this is an end of the year message, and then uh, kind of got a direction that we're going to head uh, next year, but, um, but I want to look at this because this is, this is a, um, well, it's a, it's a, it's a big subject, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a full passage, so let's just get right into it. Beginning in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them. But the wise took jars of oil with their lamps. While the bridegroom delayed, they all rested and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. The wise answered, No, lest there not be enough for us and for you. Go rather to those who sell it and buy some for yourselves. But while they went, um, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. I want you to underline that if you're taking notes. The door was shut. It's the same phrase that's used over in the story of Noah, where Noah and his family went into the ark, and God shut the door. Okay? Um, so he says to them, Afterward, the other versions came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he answered, verily or truly, or the word amen is, is the, the uh, Greek word. But verily I say unto you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I have called this message the midnight cry. Now, obviously, we're not going to sing the song, which is a good song, but, um, but I take my, my title from the passage here that says, and at midnight, a cry went out. Now, as we look at this, we understand and we know that this is a parable. Now, what is a parable? A parable means to lay alongside. It is a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, if you want to know if you want to know what um, a parable is, Jesus spoke in parables. And one of the things that we discover about parables is a lot of times they are neglected because they become very awkward sometimes when we try to fit them into our theological understanding. Uh, there's, a lot, there's some parables you can take if you're not careful. You can kind of move them around if you have one theological leaning or another, and you will try to make that parable fit into... Your, your idea of what your theology system has taught you. So, so they're hard to understand. Now, the fact of the matter is the, the problem is not with the parable. The, parab the, the, the problem is with us. It is with our understanding. There's a lot of times you remember that this phrase is used in the Bible, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Over and over again, the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, he who has an ear speaking to the churches, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. You remember, as Jesus taught a lot of times, it becomes very evident to these people because, you know, there was a time when they said to Jesus, this is a hard saying. Uh, There were other times when they said to him, then who can be saved? And you remember the Lord's reply to that, with with man, it's impossible. With With man, you can't be saved. But with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, let me give you just, uh, just two helpful tips that will kind of help you as we move through this parable and as you read the parables yourself. Uh, number one is um, parables were meant to be heard. Jesus spoke to them in parables. They were meant to be heard. Now, here's something else. They didn't have the luxury that we have with commentaries and with, with places we can go. So most of the people who heard the parables only heard them one time. And so when they heard it, they had to understand that one time what it was about. Some did, some didn't. As a matter of fact, you remember there was a time when the disciples went to Jesus and said, what were you talking about? Help us understand this. So, so parables, parables were, are meant to be heard. They were heard oftentimes only once. And so the people only had one opportunity to get the meaning. The second thing is this. When you're reading parables, just keep in mind that most of the time parables have one meaning. Just have one meaning. Uh, James McDonald used to say, when you preach, just hammer one nail. And when Jesus told parables, there were a lot of different things that he told in those parables, but he was just hammering one nail, okay? And the main focus here is this. It's found in verse 13. You need to be ready because Jesus is coming. That's the message of this parable. You need to be ready because Jesus is coming. Now, I I got a little bit carried away uh, a year or so ago. We were in the summertime. I was teaching through the uh, Old Testament uh, festivals and feasts. And uh, we were getting close to one Jewish holiday, and I made the comment that Jesus could come again, and it could be on this holiday. And we just talked about it just for a little bit, but it came out, Jesus is coming in 2018, and nobody corrected me. And so the next week, they did correct me, uh, which was a good thing to do. You know, stand up, Paul, next time and go, uh-uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, is that what you really mean? Um. The fact of the matter is, is that nobody knows the day or the hour, but we do know this, Jesus is coming. We found that over in the 24th chapter, in the 24th verse, when Jesus also says, therefore you also must be ready. For in an hour that you least expect, or when an hour that you think not, the Son of Man is coming. Now I want you to notice here that in this parable, the, bride, the bridesmaids are pursuing the bridegroom. It's a little bit different in that day. The bridegroom was to be the one who was to be the focal point. Usually what would happen is the bridesmaids would go out, find the bridegroom, bring him to the home of the bride, and then he would take his bride back to his father's house. And there was a great celebration. By the way, uh, sometimes, depending on the, uh, the, uh, the wealth of the father, that celebration can last up to seven days. 
Uh, kind of reminds me when um, the Bible says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper. And so you have these bridesmaids, and the bridesmaids here are in focus. But the focus is basically on the bridegroom because we know that in, in this passage that Jesus is the bridegroom. Okay? So, so they're, they're seeking him, but guess what? He delays. They ch- they're, they're pursuing the bridegroom. They, they, it's almost as if mm, they're not sure where he is. They can't find him. And so he doesn't come right away, and so some things happen. So I, wanna, I want to go through this morning, and I'm going to spot the difference because here's the deal, y'all. There are five bridesmaids that got in and five that didn't. But I want to show you something in here because if you read these passages, it's very difficult to tell the difference. It's extremely difficult to tell the difference. Jesus taught many times about um, the, the, the similarities of those who get in and those who don't. Take the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. A sower went out to sow. And while he was sowing, a thief came in and sowed behind him. And you remember that those who um, were, were workers, those laborers for the master, came to him and said, somebody at night, somebody has snuck in and sown tares among the wheat. You want us to pull them up? And Jesus said, no, you don't pull them up. Let them grow together. When harvest times come, I will send my harvesters out. They were gather up the tares, they will bundle them up and they will throw them into the fire. And then they will take the wheat and they will bring it in to the barn. So um, there's a lesson there for us in this matter of sometimes. Let's Let's just be very, very blunt and very real here. You can't determine whether the person sitting next to you is saved or not. Because you know what? Most of the time we all look the same. When we come in here and we sit and we sing and we praise and we listen to the preacher, there are some of us, listen, I suspect right now that there are some in this building who will not get in. And I'll show you why here in just a minute. There's a difference in those who think they will enter the kingdom of heaven and those who Jesus says, do enter. We saw it in the wheat and tares. You see it in the goats and the sheep. Now, you would think, obviously, it would be easy to spot a goat from a sheep, but in the days in which Jesus was teaching the parable, they were all round and they were all scattered, and so it became difficult to tell the difference. And instead, it's not our job to go out and to separate those. The master will do that. It's not your job, it's not my job to to try to decide who's saved and who's not saved. Here is a good rule of thumb for every believer. Just assume that nobody is and tell them all about Jesus. Okay? Because it's not our job to do that. You remember there was a time over in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, when we have the parable of the dragnet and these men go out and and they... bring all of these fish in, and they take the good fish, and they put them to this side, and they take the bad fish, and they put them to this side. They are separated by by the fishermen. It's very difficult, ladies and gentlemen, 
to know who will get in and who won't. All of the bridesmaids identify with the bridegroom. So listen to me. All of them identify with the bridegroom. But he did not identify with all of them. Because look at verse 11 with me, if you would. Afterward, the other versions came also saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. There were some that just didn't get in. Now, I'm going to just flip around here just a little bit, and you can, you can follow along with me if you want. But I want to show you something when that phrase, Lord, Lord, is used, okay? You remember right there in verse 11, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. There are instances in the Bible where Lord, Lord is used um, just like it is here. And the fact of the matter is, is every time that it's used, every time that I find that it's used in the New Testament, somebody gets left out. Look with me, if you would, at John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. They believed in the signs, okay? But Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men and did not need anyone to bear witness of man, for he knew what was in man. The Lord knows those who are His. Okay? So let's look at this for a minute. Look at Luke. I'll give you an opportunity to, uh, to find that. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Also beginning in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Someone said to Him, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? And he said unto them, Strive to enter the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, here it is, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer you. I don't even know where you came from. Let me give you another one. Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Matthew 7, just a few pages over. This is why I really like you to have a hard copy because I love hearing those pages turn. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Here it is. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But watch this. But he who does the will of my Father. Now listen to me very carefully. There were five bridesmaids who identified with the bridegroom, who had a desire to identify with the bridegroom, but they're left out. Identifying with Christ. 
a desire for Christ is not doing God's will. Now, I'm going to show you something. I know you're confused, Diane, but hang on, okay, just for a minute. What is the truth? Now, here's the deal, y'all. In this passage right here, and here's what I want to say to you. Whether it sets well with you or not, whether it fits your theological leanings or not, we have to see what the Bible says. Now, listen to me. Here is my New Year's resolution. I want in 2020 to try to be less theological and more biblical. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that there will be some in that day that will say unto me, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, but only he who does the will of my Father. So I'm sure you're sitting here, and if you're, you're visiting with us for the first time, you're going, oh, no, we, we've got a guy that's going to preach work salvation. No, I don't. This has absolutely nothing to do with salvation by works. For we are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I will tell you this. You are not saved by works, but you are saved for good works. Okay, so, so here we are. All right, so, so there, it's starting to become clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, here's, here's one that haunts me continually. Why is it that you say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again, and do not do what I say? Y'all with me? Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I say that because there must be more than an identification and a desire. The truly saved, converted follower of Jesus will do the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that you won't fail. I'm not saying you won't doubt. I'm not saying you won't stumble around. When, when it talks about the roads and the broad road and the narrow road, I got to thinking this morning, even the narrow road probably has got some potholes in it. You're going to fall in a ditch along the way. But is there a desire in your heart to do the will of the Father? In every believer, there will always be this burning desire to do God's will. A.W. Tozer said this. To escape the error of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite error of salvation without obedience. I'm saved. I ask Jesus into my heart and I can live any way I want to live because I've been forgiven. Folks, that don't fly with the Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Not everybody who identifies as a Christian, who have their name on a church roll, who are half of the population of our world that say that they are Christians, some of them will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is he, the Bible says, who does the will of my Father. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to show you something. Do, verse 9, do not be deceived. Okay? So, so if you've got some preacher right there preaching, listen, you know what? You can live any way you want to live. Do whatever you want to do because you've been saved. There, there were people who turned salvation into a license. Grace, ladies and gentlemen, is not cheap. And people who say that they are saved by grace through faith and they are living in their sin and they are enjoying that sin and they're saying God won't do anything to me have embraced a cheap grace. Grace is not cheap because God is on son. Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. Listen, I'm not even going to go into this. You watch the news. You pay attention to the television. Listen to this. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. When people get on TV and try to quote the Scripture and try to bring Jesus in to become a part of their sinful schemes, they're making a mockery. They're trampling what Hebrews calls on the blood of Jesus. And here's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. A righteous, holy life. A, a striving to be like Jesus. Now, I want to say something to you because here's what I want our theme for 2020 to be. For Calvary Baptist Church, listen, I want 2020 to be the year of repentance. The year of repentance. Think about the gospel. Think about the Bible. Think about the things that Jesus said. Think about the things that John the Baptist says. Think about what the apostles said in Acts. Think about five times what's said to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Repent. Salvation does not stop when you get saved. Repentance does not stop when you get saved. Salvation is a one-time, once-for-all act of God, but repentance is an ongoing process for the believer. It falls into that category of dying to yourself daily. I've heard before, many of you, even myself, 
I don't know why we're so ashamed to come to the altar every Sunday and pray. That's biblical, y'all. People sit back and go, well, somebody's going to think something's wrong with me. Well, look what, newsflash, there is something wrong with you. But at least you recognize it. And you can come to the person who can fix it. So you're repentance. Doesn't stop when you're saved. What do I, what do I repent from, Gary? Sin. You repent from sin. We have accepted too easily that salvation saves us from hell. And it does. And that's good news. But the fact of the matter is, that's only part of it. A good part, but only part. In Scripture, salvation is primarily saved from sin. And all have sinned, okay? So all need to repent, right? It's a departing from sin. Here are these bridesmaids. They both identify with a bridegroom, but not all of them entered. What's the difference? So, okay. So let's read it again. Back over with in Matthew, chapter 25, knowing what you know now, let's see if we can't unpackage what's happening here. There's a few things missing from the five that didn't get in. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise Five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them. But the wise took jars of oil with their lamps, while the bridegroom delayed. Look at this. They all slept. I think Jesus is giving us an indication of what the days will be like right before his return. Sleeping, complacent, tired not interested but at midnight there was a cry or a trumpet the bridegroom's coming come out to meet him now let me ask you a question 2020 is coming up it's not here yet If the trumpet sounded and the call went out before 2020, which group would you be in? Listen, this is no time to play. This is no time to guess. I promise you this right here. If there's not a confirmation in your heart, there's one of two things that's probably happened. You've got sin in your life that's unconfessed. The devil has duped you. Or you've never been saved. Somebody said last week, they were talking about a child who they went to see baptized. And, and they said, yeah, I think he knows. He's young. I think he knows. Let me tell you all something. I don't ever discourage a step of faith in any direction. Ever. I want a child to know. I do. I want a child to know. I think most children do know. 
And I want to tell you this right here. As, as someone who was saved young, there's some really struggles that happen along the way. That's why I believe that when your children get saved, you ought to write that date down in a Bible somewhere. Time and a place. Most churches will tell you that they have more phone calls about people who got saved young trying to find out the day they were saved. But listen, the fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, is this. It, the date don't matter. The time doesn't matter. What matters is, is your name written in heaven. Doesn't matter if it's on a church roll somewhere. Doesn't matter if you don't even remember where that church was or if that church still even exists or if the pastor fell into some gross sin. Church didn't save you. The preacher didn't save you. Jesus saved you. Sometimes we get all caught up in that, don't we? We worry too much about what's going on this side. and We don't put our confidence in what's going on there. Here they are. They are left out. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish said to the wise, Hey, give us, give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. You know what? Just a thought. Matter of fact, I just thought it. There's some of you sitting here this morning. And you're going to try to get into heaven on the basis of what you get from this church. What, what people around you, if you can emulate the people around you, if you can live like the people around you. The fact of the matter is this, ladies and gentlemen. I've got nothing in me that can save you. And if you're here this morning and you're trying to get your salvation, you're trying to please God through, um, through, through coming to church or through participating in religious events, I'm going to tell you what, you're off track. You're off track. Jesus saves. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Both these groups identified with him. Both of them had a desire. But the fact of the matter is, half of them were left out. He shut the door. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. I don't know who you are. So what was missing? First of all, I believe obedience was missing. Now, some way, somehow, they should have known to bring oil. Some way, somehow, they, they, should, have, they should have known what to do. Listen, you're going to go to heaven one day. Are you going to stand before the Lord one day? If you're not saved, you're going to be without excuse. I didn't have this, or I didn't have that, or nobody told me this. No, no you are without excuse. Your salvation, your eternity, is based on the decision that you make about who He is. And if He's who He says He is, then you will embrace that and believe that, and the Bible says you will be saved. Obedience. You will struggle. You will doubt. You will fall. You will wrestle with temptation. We all do. But listen to this very carefully. Listen to this statement. And I, I, listen, I, to, to, every, to every person sitting here this morning, this is for believer and unbeliever. If there is no desire for holiness, 
No struggle against sin. No conviction. No longing to be like Jesus. You need to wake up and ask yourself the question, if the bridegroom, if the midnight cry were to happen and the trumpet were to sound and Christ came, what crowd would you be in? It doesn't matter if you have identified with him. Are you doing his will? That manifests itself, first of all, in a changed life. When we stand before God one of these days, I've often played this little scenario in my mind. Going to heaven and standing before the Lord and, listen, y'all, can I just, I hate to bust y'all's bubble, but St. Peter ain't going to be at the gate, okay? Asking you questions. But let's just say he is. And he were to say to you, what right? Now, there will be some that will go, boy, I did this and I did this. And I did. Do you know what the Bible says? Now, now, listen to this very carefully. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the king of heaven. But he who does well of my father. And some will say on the day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? I, I use that word as preaching. Have we not preached in your name? What about this one? Have we not done miracles in your name? Any of you ever done a miracle? I don't know who you are. Religious acts. Disciplines are all those things we can stand before the Lord and say we've done. But I, but this has become this has become real to me. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ. It's the place where rewards will be handed out. When you stand before the Lord as a believer, you will never be judged for your sin. Your sin has already been judged. But your life will be examined. And when we stand before the Lord and we go, I've done this or I've done that or I've done this or I've done that. Or look, I I prayed a prayer. Jesus is going to go, then let's look at your life. Let's look at your life. Man, that one just beats me up. Are you doing His will? It manifests itself in a changed life. A holiness that is not works-based, but has been wrought in you by God's grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the grace of God is a wonderful thing. It is. It's a wonderful thing. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But I'm going to hit you with a cattle prod this morning, okay? I believe two of the greatest stories in the New Testament with Jesus and His grace are found in two of His stories. One of them deals 
with a woman who is caught in adultery. And you know the story. Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Okay, that's grace. A lot of us would like to end right there. But what do he say to her? Go and sin no more. You remember the man who was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years. And they walked by and they looked at him and said, you want to be healed? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that guy had to think about that in very long. But Jesus heals him. He takes up his bed. He walks. Jesus finds him a little bit later in the temple. And what does he say to him? Go and sin no more unless some greater evil come upon you. What we're doing this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is taking a gut check. Because here's what Titus chapter 3 says. For the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all men. Teaching us, here it is, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, the word denying there means to turn away from ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live righteously and godly in this present age. There is, and there always has been, an expectation that when somebody comes to Jesus, their life will be changed. And they will deny those things they once embraced. I'm going to tell you all something. If you can sin and it not bother you, I don't know if you've ever been saved. Or if you're so deep in sin that you've been blinded. I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not saying here, I don't know who is and who's not. I'm just telling you, if you've been saved, your life will demonstrate that you've been saved. Won't be perfect. But we are to live righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why did he give himself for us? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Obedience. Every one of them had lamps. All of them had some light. But half were left out. And we're not talking about little clay pots here. We're talking about torches. We're talking about torches. They were all equipped, okay? But here's what I like. Five of them didn't have any fuel. No power. Now, we know, obviously, in the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. There's got to be two things to be saved, ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. All of these people who say, well, look, I'm just going to wait right till the end. Well, you know what? If the Spirit of God is not present, you'll die in your sin. 
You won't wait right till the end. But I promise you this right here, and Bradley and I talked about this week. Let's just say that we've lived our life the way God wants us to, and we have been faithful, and we've just demonstrated we've done the will of God. Got saved at a young age, lived to an old age, remained faithful. And let's just say, right before his death, Charles Manson decided he wanted to be saved. And he was. There were a lot of people in Jesus' day who said, that's not, that's not fair. That's not fair. But I will tell you this, and I told Bradley this. Charles Manson would have never done that unless the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. You don't decide when you want to be saved. If you feel an urge to be saved, you better be saved now. You better make that decision now, today. Because you know what? The Spirit, the Bible says, Spirit, my Spirit will not always strive with men. The Holy Spirit may not, may not bring you. It's like Paul told Timothy. There are people out there who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Listen, they all had a knowledge of what was needed, but not all of them possessed what was needed. You cannot be saved by somebody else's work. Preparedness. They both were sleeping. But one group was ready. Both were sleeping. But one group awakened ready. Matthew chapter 24 and 25 if you read those passages, you'll see this phrase used, and he delayed, or after a long time. Okay? Where's the promise of his coming? For from the beginning of time, he said he's coming, and yet the world is saying, well, you know, where is that promise? Well, here's where the promise is. God is long-suffering. He's patient. Quite unlike me. He don't want anybody to perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. Now listen, I don't care where you are theologically, you can't get around that little word all. It's the desire of God to save everybody. I was reading, I said this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. If you stand and you teach a Sunday school class, or if you stand and you preach, or if you stand and you sing, or you participate in the worship service somehow, your desire ought to be to see heaven full and hell empty. They both were sleeping. We have a generation that's asleep. They're slumbering. They're not awake. No watchfulness. No preparedness. They didn't come prepared. I'm going to tell you something. You ought to come every Sunday morning. And there's something about, uh, I, I know Tanya sent a thing out this week and this morning, and it was about worshiping together with people. There's just something, something magical that happens when God's people come together. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You're going to miss something if you're not here. But if you come, 
you're coming to encounter Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in a very unique way. A way that I believe that you can't experience Him just by yourself. By, by, by staying at home and worshiping at home or worshiping in nature. I mean, that's all well and good. It just ain't true. You're not worshiping nat- out of nature. You just want a vacation. So, you know, just, just be honest. That preacher's boring. I don't like the music. I don't like this. Well, you know what? Find somewhere where you do like. But you better be sure that the man that stands says, Thus saith the Lord. Because if you don't, you'll fall for a lie. Question. This morning is not, my question is not, do you know Jesus? That's not my question. But here's the question I want you to ask yourselves right now. Does Jesus know me? That's the question. Because I'm going to tell you what, you can be deceived in your own mind, in your own heart. But I'm going to tell you what. There is a promise in the book of Revelation. And it, it, look, it's a promise. It's supposed to be an encouragement. People will take it and say, well, you know, the Bible says you can lose your salvation. No, it's not. But here's what the Lord says. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. That's an encouragement, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you what. We are heaven born and, and we're heaven bound. But if you don't know Jesus, and if Jesus doesn't know you, I would say before that clock ticks midnight into 2020, I would make sure that I was ready.